We hope you'll be blessed and inspired and challenged and motivated by this fresh word from Christian Heritage Church. You know, if you were to read John chapter 8, you would hear Jesus saying to the Pharisees, if you hear my word and do my word, the word will set you free. They responded, we're the sons of Abraham. We've never been in bondage. How can you then set us free? And this is what he said. If you're slaves to sin, you're bound. But once you come to God, you become a son. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a slave. I want to be a son. And when the son is in my life, then he says in verse 38, if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. He moves us, he repositions us, he changes us from slaves to sons. And we have reason to rejoice. Can you say amen? Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles this morning, turn to Matthew chapter 6. I want to talk to you a few minutes this morning about spiritual disciplines, about the Sermon on the Mount. You know, when you begin reading Matthews 5, 6, and 7, it's the passage that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And in that passage, Jesus had one purpose. So read it with this purpose in mind. His purpose was to change the thinking of a generation. And by changing the thinking of a generation, he would change the thinking of succeeding generations, of those who came after. You see, the Jews were embroiled in the law. They were bound to the law. They were tied to the law. And Jesus came to show them, according to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 20, a new and a living way. And if you read that word that's translated living in the King James from the Greek, what it actually means is life-giving. So he came to show a new and life-giving way to those who follow him. So as we read the Sermon on the Mount, we understand Jesus is giving this discourse, this teaching, for the purpose of bringing a new way of thinking, for the purpose of bringing a life-giving way to people who have been bound by a set of rules and restrictions. Now, there's nothing wrong with the law. That's the code God gave Moses so his people would know how to please him and serve him. But the law was weak. The law didn't give power. The law didn't bring life. The law didn't have the ability to bring transformation. And that's what I want you to hear this morning. When we read the Sermon on the Mount, we're talking about transformation. We're talking about being different people because something that we have received has brought change into our lives. John Maxwell says people change for two reasons. Number one, because they hurt enough, they have to. Have you ever been in that situation where life was just so tough, you said something's got to give. Something's got to change. When you hurt enough, you want to change because you want to alleviate that pain in your life. He said the second reason we change is when we learn enough, we want to. And that's my role as your pastor, is to bring you to a place in the Word of God where you learn and you understand God's Word, and it brings within you a desire to be transformed, a desire to be changed. Someone said, well, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. You're missing the point. That's where we began. Can I remind you, God didn't call you just to make you safe and get you to heaven. God called you to make you dangerous, to make you a weapon in the warfare of the kingdom of God. God called you to make you an effective witness. God called you to bring change in your life. And those around you see that change and say, I want to go to heaven too. See, that's what it's all about. 
Somebody's seeing what God is doing in you, and that prompts them, that causes them, that becomes the catalyst in their life that makes them want change. See, I can tell you every sermon in the world often doesn't change your heart. But a pure witness, someone who lives righteous and holy before God, someone who doesn't live inside of a, 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 a ledger of rules and regulations, but lives in a place where life flows through them, draws people to them like a magnet. Because people, when they're hurting, are looking for someone to help them through that hurt. Amen? They're looking for someone to help them with, why is this happening with me? They're looking for someone to bring answers. When you read Matthews 5, 5, 6, and 7, Jesus is bringing answers to a people that are bound. They're very religious, but they're bound. They're bound by their religion. We need to understand today that God doesn't come to put rules and restrictions on us. He comes to show us a new and life-giving way. And that's why we're here this morning. That's why this scripture is so relevant and important to us today, to understand it brings life. So already in this series on spiritual disciplines, we've talked about fasting. One of the most incredible things on January the 7th, when I preached that message on fasting, I didn't mention salvation one time. I didn't talk about our sinful nature and our need for a Savior. But at the end of that service, because, and listen to me, Because the Holy Spirit works in men's heart when we open our hearts and create an atmosphere for Him to come in and come down. And when the Word is preached, He touches lives. At the end of that service, 12 people accepted Christ as their Savior. When I preached on fasting. That wasn't me, folks. That was the Holy Spirit of the living God. You need to understand that's the way He works. And when we open the Word and begin sharing words of life, He takes that Word and he drives it into our lives. It's an amazing thing to me that I can stand on Main Street after service and people will say, thank you so much. I enjoyed that service. This is what I got out of it. And I'm thinking, I didn't even talk about that. I didn't say anything about that. I didn't have to. Because the Holy Spirit, who is the third person of the Trinity, showed up and he took words of life and he drove it into someone's spirit and he showed them a way out of the situation they're in and he proved to them God is able if you'll receive him. I love it. I love it when the Holy Ghost preaches a whole nother sermon to individuals because lives are then changed. So when we talk about the Sermon on the Mount, we're talking about the way we think, and changing the way we think, which as a result changes behavior. You'll never change behavior until you change mindset in the way we think. Religion has tried it for years. You can take a drunk and put him in a suit, but he's still a drunk. And you're not going to change that individual until you change the mindset. Mindset then determines behavior. What did Paul say in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1? He said, if you sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Now think about this for just a moment. We have two options, two alternatives. One is corruption. That means death, destruction. The other is everlasting life. Now I don't know about you, but I'll trade this for this any day of the week. I'll trade heartache and hurt and anguish and toil and corruption for life evermore every day of the week. That's the great exchange. God allowing us to trade our sorrows, to trade our sickness, to trade our sadness, to trade our joys for the joy of the Lord. 
for the love of God. So he's talking about changing thinking, which then, in fact, changes behavior. When I was a kid growing up in western Oklahoma, most of you know my parents were farmers. And we lived on a sand farm 17 miles from the nearest town. And because the farm didn't provide enough to support our family, my dad always worked an outside job. He worked as a carpenter for years, one of the finest carpenters in western Oklahoma. And I can remember I was probably 10 years old, and we got up every morning seven days a week and we milked the cows. Anywhere from 12 to 25 head of cows had to be milked. We fed the pigs, we took care of the calves, we did all the chores before we ever ate breakfast. And when we were doing the chores, Dad would often give us assignments for the day. And on that particular moment, morning, he said to me, Steve, I want you to take the Ford tractor, I want you to go over to the cotton field, and I want you to cultivate that cotton. In other words, get the weeds out of the cotton. Let me tell you something, doing it with a tractor sure beats doing it with the hoe. Can you say amen? I've done both, and I'll go for the tractor every time. That's like corruption in life, I'm telling you for sure. So I got on the Ford tractor after breakfast. Dad went to work, and I made my way over to that 80. Dad owned 500 acres. This was on the back side of the place. And when I pulled into the gate of that cotton field, it was very, very sandy. Have you ever been there? Well, of course you've been around sand. That's what this is, right? Florida is nothing but blow sand. It was nothing but blow sand, and it was deep stuff. I was 10 years old. I could drive the tractor. I could drive it in a straight line. I knew how to lift the cultivator up with the hydraulics. But I wasn't very good at negotiating difficulties. And when I stopped to open the gate in that cotton field, I couldn't get going again. That tractor was stuck. And the more I tried, the deeper it was buried in the sand. Until finally, I just gave up, shut it off, walked back to the house and told my mom, I can't get it out. It's stuck in the sand. Dad came home about 6 o'clock that night. And he said, did you get that field cultivated? I said, no, sir. I got stuck in the sand in the gate, and I couldn't do it. He said, well, come with me. I want to teach you something. I want to show you something. And so we went over to that cotton field, and there were a couple of fence posts laying there that he had pulled out of the fence and replaced with new ones. He stuck those under the back tires, and then just as easy as pie, he backed right up out of that sand. See, he taught me something that day that I've never forgotten. You've got to learn if you're going to change. Otherwise, I'd have went back to that cotton field the next day, got stuck in the sand, and the same pattern would have happened. Oh, somebody needs to hear me this morning. We serve a God of transformation. The Sermon on the Mount is about transformation. God wants to take you from being stuck to a place where you can walk in victory and power and life and understand His plan for you. That's pretty good preaching, whether you know it or not. We need to absorb that today. So when we read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we read it from the perspective of, what are you saying to me? What do you want to change in my life? What differences are you wanting to make within me? Because that's the whole purpose of this discourse. So we've already talked about fasting. We've talked about prayer. This morning I'm going to talk to you about giving. And everybody said, hallelujah! Hallelujah. Well, five of you did. You see, often when we talk about giving, we all of a sudden pull in and close up. Why? Because we've been taken advantage of. Because some charlatan has used the Word of God to beat us over the head and convince us if we don't do this or give to this, God's not going to bless us. I've come to blow all that away this morning. 
And I've come to help you understand when we change our thinking about finances and we begin to understand everything we have is God's, it's liberating. It's freeing. Because it's not mine and I don't have to hang on to it. I can freely give everything I have to Him and then He makes every need I have come to pass. So look with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, now notice it's an exchange, seen before men or seen before God. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, when you give an offering, let's just put it in those terms. When you give an offering, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That your charitable deed may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward himself, will reward you openly. Now, do you see the change in thinking he's trying to bring to his audience? They had always done things so men would know what they did. He's saying, stop it. You're performing for the wrong audience. You're giving for the wrong reasons. The reason to give is because God has given you everything, and when you do so between you and God, then that ensures God is going to reward you openly. That's a pretty powerful statement, isn't it? You need to absorb that, drive it into your spirit, think about it. Now look at verses 19 through 21, Matthew chapter 6. The same guy talking, whose name was Jesus, who is the Son of God. He said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break through and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Father, right now, speak to every heart in this room. You know each one of us. You know what we need from you today. Some do need forgiveness. Some need healing. Some need restoration. And some need to be liberated from the power of greed. So in this room this morning, do works of transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit. I ask it in the name that's above every name, in Jesus' name, amen. So when I start talking about giving, people get uncomfortable. They start looking for the exit. How do I get out of here quickly? Because we don't want to deal with this issue. Do you understand we don't want to deal with it because nine times out of ten, finances, money controls our life. That's what everything revolves around. How much do I have and how much can I get? Reminds me of the old story of the little boy who was going out the door to go to Sunday school, and his dad said to him, here, son, here's two quarters. One you put in the offering, the other one you can use to buy an ice cream cone. Now, that tells you how old the story is when you buy an ice cream cone for 25 cents. So he was walking to Sunday school, and on the way, he accidentally dropped one of the quarters. It rolled down and went in the storm drain under the, under the street. Paused for a moment, sighed, looked to the heavens and said, well, God, there goes your quarter. Isn't that the way we are? We're more concerned of what we have than with what we're doing for God. The very idea of giving sets off an internal conflict within many of us. 
because we fail to understand one scriptural principle, and that is the principle that God owns everything. That everything that I may temporarily possess came as a gift from God. That my next breath actually lies in his hand. That every dime I have in the bank, every car that's in the garage, the house I live in, the clothes I wear, everything I have is because of God. He is my benefactor and he owns everything I may temporarily possess. We need to understand that. Matter of fact, Jesus was trying to help people understand this principle in Matthew chapter 25. I believe it starts in verse 14. It's called the parable of the talents where he tells a story of a rich man who was going on a long journey. He called three of his servants to him, and he gave one of them five talents, another two talents, another one talent. And he said, I want you to go and do something with what I've given you. That's not the King James Version. That's my version. This is your gift. Now go make something of it. Somebody needs to hear this this morning because you've been sitting on your hands thinking that somehow, some way, God was going to magically make something work in your life. But he's saying to you this morning, I've already given you a gift. Go do something with it. Go do what I've asked you to do. I was so refreshed Wednesday night. Looking around. Are they here this morning? May not, maybe not. Yeah, right back there in the back. Megan and Colby, would you guys stand? Right where you at? Would you stand? They moved in from Athens, Georgia. Colby is the baseball coach down at TCC. Megan is a nurse practitioner here in town at a neurology practice. And I quote them when Megan said, we're getting involved. They'd already signed up for ministries because we believe part of being a Christian is serving God. Somebody needs to applaud that attitude. Thank you, guys. Thank you. And thank you for being a part of our church. I love it. We need to understand that when God gives us a gift, He doesn't expect us to sit on it. He expects us to do something with it. So in that parable of the talents, after a long time, it says, the owner came back. And he called these three servants to him. And he said, show me what you did with what I gave you. The first one said, you gave me five, I made five. And then these are the words I want you to hear. Jesus said, well done, Good and faithful servant, enter into the joys of the Lord. Do you understand what he's saying? Every born-again believer has been given gifts from God. And it then becomes our responsibility to use those gifts to gain more things for the kingdom of God. It's not about money. It's about what God has put inside of me. But listen, if I don't get a hold of the gifts God has given me, I will never get a hold of the principles of giving. See, there's some people that say, well, I pay my tithe through my service. No, you don't. You're robbing God. Wow, I like the way it got quiet in this place. You see, God wants your time, your talent, and your treasure. He wants your entire being. He doesn't just want a part. I knew a man years ago in western Oklahoma, as ungodly as they come, but every week he would mail a tithe check to that Assembly of God church. Because somehow in his twisted mind, he was convinced, I can buy God off. I can pay my way in. I can find a shortcut. I can get around what God's asking me to do, and I can just give some money, and that's going to be good enough. I've come to tell you, you can't buy God. No matter how much you give, it doesn't change his opinion of you. You need to understand there is one way into heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. However, when Jesus is the Lord of your life, he wants your entire being. 
Not just your money, not just your time, not just your talent. He wants everything that you have to bring to him. So the, back to the peril of the talents. The guy with two talents came before him and he said, you gave me two, I've gained two. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of the Lord. The guy that he gave one to came before him and he said, I can almost picture it. If you read the scripture, it's, the language is so vivid. And he said, I knew you were an evil and a wicked man, a hard man, and I was afraid of you. So I took what you gave me, and I buried it in the ground, and here you can have it back. And what did Jesus say about that individual in that parable? He said, well, if the master said, if you knew I was a hard man, why didn't you at least put it in the bank and collect interest on it? Why did you bury it in the ground where nothing was gained? And because you disobeyed, depart from me. It's a powerful parable that's talking about what we do with the gifts of God that are in our lives. Oh, come on, folks. We've got to understand this whole thing of giving. It's not just about money. It's about our time. It's about our talent. It's about our relationships. It's about every aspect of our life. And God wants to change the way we think so we change the way we behave. Amen. Man, that's good stuff, preacher. I love this preaching. You just go ahead and preach some more. That's really, really good. Come on, bring it on. You see, I can encourage myself even if you don't. It's not a problem. Not a problem. So we understand from that parable that one day we will stand before God and one day we're going to give an account for what we've done with what he gave us. Now, I know this preaching isn't popular today. We don't want to hear that stuff today. But you and I have got to understand that one day as believers, we'll stand before the bema seat of Christ and he's going to ask us, what did you do with what I gave you? Did you take the talents I invested in you and did you grow something? Or did you bury it because you were afraid? So when we're talking about giving this morning, I'm not just talking about your pocketbook. I'm talking about every area of your life. We need to understand, and I referenced it early in John chapter 8, we are no longer slaves, we are sons. And that's a positional transformation in our lives. I was a slave to sin, but when I accepted Christ as my Savior, I became a son of God. Now, I don't want to be a slave anymore. I want to be a son. How do I know that I'm a son? Read John chapter 8, verse 31. Jesus said, if you do what I tell you to do, if you follow my word, you're my sons. Are you with me? Stand close. Because he told us in Matthew, one of the indications of being his sons is that we take the gifts he's given us and we multiply those. We invest those. We use those to build the kingdom of God, to expand his reach around the world into the lives of men and women and boys and girls. We see God do amazing things when we realize I'm not a slave, I'm a son. So it's a shift in our thinking that brings a shift in our behavior. But when I begin talking to you about money, many people get very, very nervous. Oh, he's going to take an offering. I am going to take an offering at the end of the service. And I will give you a chance to practice what the Bible says. But it won't be through coercion or manipulation. It will be through revelation and truth. Come on, you need to grab that. 
You can either live in coercion and manipulation, or you can live in revelation and truth. I choose to be a son, and a son lives in revelation and truth. A son does not succumb to manipulation and coercion. He understands what the master has said, and he does what the master encourages him to do. So when we talk about giving, we talk about stewardship. God owns everything. He gives us to us. We simply steward it, tend it, partake, take care of it. That's really what God wants us to understand. But it causes a tension within us. Listen, every one of us have this battle. It causes a tension within us because everything I have has my name on it. Just think about that. Our house, that deed, it has Yvonne and Steve Dow on it. Title of those cars, Yvonne and Steve Dow. Everything we have, the bank accounts, Yvonne and Steve Dow, it has my name on it. And it becomes a place of tension when I fail to realize, even though in this life it's got my name on it, everything I have, everything I possess, every blessing I enjoy comes directly from the throne of God. And if I fail to lose sight of that, then there is a tension, there is a fight, there is a war going on within me because I don't want to give up what's mine. Do you know how hard I work for that paycheck? And do you know that preacher actually has the gall to say, I should pay tithe 10%? I should give offerings? That's my money. That's my money. Be careful when you go down that trail because it's not biblical and scriptural. I was going to say something else. I'm just going to leave it there. Be careful when you go down that trail. We have to understand that everything we possess is a gift from God. Let me give you some scriptural examples. If you go back to the book of Haggai, Haggai was a prophet 16, 17, 18 years after the Jews were freed from Babylonian captivity and they'd been returned to Israel. And you can read it in the book of Haggai, chapter 1, where the Bible says Haggai is prophesying to the Israelites that everything you do has no point. Matter of fact, let me just flip over there and read it to you. It's more effective if you hear it than me paraphrase it. He said, you've sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put it into a bag with holes. Wow, that's a powerful statement, isn't it? Have you ever been in the place where you felt like, it doesn't matter what I do, it's never enough. I can't make enough money. Can I challenge you to pause right where you're at, get your priorities straight, honor God first, Set aside the first fruits of your increase. Give it to the Lord and watch what God will do. I'm here to tell you, He's a promise-keeping God. He always honors His Word. And if you will determine to do it God's way, the right way, God will bless your life. Now hear me, we don't give to get. We give because of what we've already received. We give because we understand everything I have comes from God. It's not mine, it's His, and I'm just sowing back into the kingdom. I'm just responding with a heart of obedience to my heavenly Father. So we understand God's going to do great things. You earn wages, but you put your money in a bag with holes in it. Why did Haggai prophesy that? Because part of their objective in returning to Israel was to rebuild the temple. But 16 years later, it still was not finished. 
And it was not finished because the priority of the people of God had shifted from what God wanted to what I wanted. God, right now, change our priorities. Change the way we think. Change our hearts so that we understand we will never be more generous than God has already been in our hearts and in our lives. So when we read our text this morning, we have to recognize we are managing God's stuff. And when Jesus uses the expression, or the Bible uses the word heart, he's really talking about that place. He's not talking about this organ that pumps blood. But he's talking about that part of our created being that makes decisions about how we're going to live, what we're going to believe, the choices we're going to make. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Guard your heart, for from it flow the issues of life. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We understand men are three basic uh, things tied together. We're a human body just like this. By the way, when God created man and woman, he didn't look like this. God doesn't look like this. Everybody should say amen that God doesn't look like this. God is a spirit. We learned that in John 4, 24. Jesus said God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So when God created Adam and Eve in his likeness and in his image, he didn't do so in the image of a physical body of God, but rather the spirit of God that dwells within us. So we understand we're a body, we're a spirit that God created, and we're a soul or our mind, our intellect, our emotions. And when we're using the term heart, we're talking about a combination of that spirit that God created in us and our soul, our mind, our emotions, our will, our intellect. So when we understand that, Jesus is clearly saying, when you determine to do what God wants you to do, stand back and see what God will do. When you make the decisions to do what's right. So our attitude, we learn our attitude toward material things is an indicator of the condition of our heart. You know, if I bless God, I don't want to give in this offering. I don't want to help. Let me tell you a story. Last week, Marisol Martinez was here, the director of Royal Homes, who ministers to teen mothers. She told us about all the things they have done there. And over lunch, she then told us another story about a need. She said, we need a van one of those Ford wagons that's big enough to haul all of our girls and all our babies all at once. But we don't have the money. She gave us a figure of $10,000, and something kind of struck in my heart that we should do something about that. But in a board meeting on Monday night, God just said, wait, it's not time. So on Tuesday, I called her to tell her how much the offering was. By the way, you gave $2,500 to Royal Home last week. Congratulations. Great job. Thank you for your generosity. It was the largest offering she had ever received. You should thank God for that. Anyway, in the conversation on Tuesday, she said, Pastor, I asked her about the van. Pastor, all we need now is $3,000. Just three. It went from 10 to three in one day. Why? Because that's what God does. 
And so I sent an email to the board. I think we need to add this to our offering. What do you think? A hundred percent. Yes, let's do it. So can I tell you, because of your faithfulness, because of your giving, because you sow into the kingdom, there are resources, there are finances available where we can reach out and we can meet a need and we can bless another ministry and we can expand the kingdom of God. Why do I give? Because God uses what I give to blow up the kingdom. He uses us uses us to bring change. So there's two attitudes towards giving, and I realize the time, and I'm out of time this morning. So your outline, just put a line there because you're going to see it next week as well, and we'll get into those two attitudes of giving. One is an attitude of giving, the, getting. The second is an attitude of giving. But everything I've taught you about this morning has been for the purpose of helping you understand God wants to change you and me. He wants to change the way we think so we change the way we behave. He wants to change our attitudes so that our actions change. He wants to transform us in that area of the soul, the mind, the intellect, so that we can begin living out the commands of God and proving to those around us, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm not a member of Christian Heritage Church. I'm a member of the kingdom of God. Oh, listen to me. I want you to invite people to come here. I want them to be a part of what God is doing. But I'm not here to build this church. I'm here to build the kingdom. And the kingdom is a whole lot bigger than 2820 Sarah Road. So every time we bring our gifts to him, we're doing so recognizing I'm partnering with God. I'm putting back in his hand what he's given to me so that his kingdom can expand. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for its power, its relevance, and its ability through Holy Spirit to transform lives. So in this room this morning, Lord, I know you've already isolated and identified them. There are people who need you as their Savior. People who came looking for change. People who are tired of hurting. People who have said, I can't live like I'm living anymore. Lord, speak to those people clearly right now. Let them hear your call to come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Lord, speak to those individuals right now. They're scattered throughout this auditorium. Draw them to you right now. And make this moment the moment of change in their lives. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed across this room this morning, You say, you just talked about me. I need change in my life. I can't continue the way I'm going. I'm tired of living this way. I want to change. I want to ask Jesus to forgive me. I want my sins to be washed away. I want my life to be different. If that's you, right where you sit, would you just raise that hand and hold it there until I see it? Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Others, as I wait a moment, slip up that hand, pray for me. I can't do what I'm doing anymore. I need change in my life. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Anyone else you'll join these? We don't want to rush you. We want to give you plenty of time to respond. God's talking to you right now. The Holy Spirit is encouraging you to say, I need to change. Just slip the hand up right where you're at. That's me. That's me. Yes, ma'am. That's me. Stand your feet across this room this morning. There was probably six or seven who raised their hand today. Those of you who lifted your hands, I want you to look directly at me. Don't look at anybody else. Look directly at me. 
If you slip that hand up and said, I need to change, and I need to change today, then I want you to step out and come. I'm going to pray with you this morning. Come, right now. You raise that hand. Don't wait for anybody else. Come on. That's it, young man. Come on. Come on. Be brave. Be courageous. Jesus hung on a cross for you. The least you can do is step out and walk an aisle for him. Say, I need Jesus in my life. Come on. You slipped up that hand. You come this morning. God wants to do a work in your heart and a work in your life. Come on. We're going to pray together. So wait just another moment. You want to step out and come. Bow your heads with me. Everybody in this room, pray this prayer. David and Corinne, would you come, please? Father, in the name of Jesus, I am a sinner. I need a Savior. I ask you to forgive me, to cleanse my heart, to change my life. I don't want to be the person I am today. Change me, O God. Cleanse me, O God. Transform me. Oh God, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe He died for my sins. I believe He rose again from the dead. And I receive Him as my Savior and as my Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you're standing in the auditorium and you prayed that prayer, it's as effective there as it is here. So tell somebody before you leave today, I've received Jesus. He's changing me. Teresa, would you take these folks out to 103? And David is right there. Lead them right out. If you guys will turn and follow David right there. They're going to pray with you individually. They're going to give you some material and encourage you. Come on, welcome them into the family of God. Our prayer is that God will take this word and plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. Father, we pray for your great wisdom to infiltrate this listener, draw them to you, and take them gently down the road to their next destination in life. And if you're in need of a home church, we invite you to join us at Christian Heritage Church on Shera Road in Tallahassee, Florida. A multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. For a worship service where the presence of God has first place, you're invited to Christian Heritage Church. Sunday morning service is at 10.30, Wednesday evening at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For all the latest information, visit our website, chctoday.com.